This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to a brand new episode of Inspiring Design Season 2. I'm your host, Rashan Senanayaka, and we're kicking on with design thinking our way through different students' points of view, students and graduates, I must say, design thinking our way through the education and design industries, featuring people from all over Australia, different backgrounds, different experience levels and points of views in their education and professional career. So to kick things off today, I have here actually a very special guest and I'm going to share a story later on and how she was actually influential in the birth of Inspired Education, Caitlin Sells. She's worked in the architectural industry throughout her university studies. She's honed her skills in not only design and construction, but also project management, leading her to take on roles outside the typical architectural job description. We're essentially talking about creative thinking way through different parts of the business, business development, and so on. She was given the opportunity to take on more BD roles while working simultaneously on leadership positions within networking organizations as well. Being a strong advocate for relationship-first type approach to projects, Caitlin believes that many of these skills are transferable across various industries and help her build her knowledge set and skill sets, which made her a very unique and employable person. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. I feel very privileged to be on. Awesome. Can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your history? What's your story? So I studied a master's of, well, I suppose, first of all, a Bachelor of Design that Mm -hmm. then led into a master's of architecture. Um, It was, I suppose interesting in the fact that it's something or becoming becoming an architect is something I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It's something that I was very fortunate to have very clear direction on when I was younger. So um, I was the kid at school that, you know, instead of coming home from school and drawing horses or whatever seven-year-old girls draw, I would draw floor plans. And it was just kind of this thing that I loved doing and it was a hobby and it was, it was great. And kind of tie that in with um, how I grew up. So my parents, we moved a lot with my dad's work. Um, so I've lived in Sydney. I've lived, I've spent four years over in the States, over there. Moved schools a ridiculous number of times, I don't <laughs> count. <laughs> and um, moved houses a lot as a result of that. And so would spend my childhood going to open homes and, you know, builders and things like that. And um, yeah, just became really interested in design, I guess. So fast forward, you know, a couple of years, I've been doing these floor plans at home and mum said to me one day, she was just like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be an interior designer. That's it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, oh, but you're really maths and science and numbers sort of focused, you know? And she was the one that actually said to me, she was like, I think you should be an architect. And I was like, okay, cool. Okay. Just, just ran with that. And pretty much, you know, since since the age of sort of 10 years old, I think that was kind of what I did. Yeah. So um, I went through high school and um, pretty much picked all my subjects based on the plan of going to uni and studying architecture. 
Um, so did graphics, visual arts, that sort of thing to kind of combine, I suppose, the technical and the creative side of things. Um, and then, yeah, and ended up in, in uni at QUT and started first year and absolutely hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> remember Any particular reason? Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of, I distinctly remember spending so many nights in tears because it was not practical. And first year is all about being creative and, you yep. know, it, it's, it really is teaching you to think in a non-linear way mm-hmm. um, and outside the box, which I couldn't truly appreciate it until after uni, yep. that how important that actually was. Yep. But at the time I was like, where's the rules? Where's the, you know, <laughs> the facts around this? You know, the this structure. is so, exactly. Yep. This is so airy fairy and I hate it. Yep. And um, I was like, so I stuck out the first year and it was really at the beginning of second year. I was like, do I keep going? This is, this is rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, no, I'm going to go and try and get a job and I'm going to see what that's like. And if I'm happy with the job, then I'll keep going with uni. So, yeah, so in second year, I went and got a, um, a part-time job in a firm and pretty much started working th- at, at the time. It was about three days a week um, and then doing uni the rest of the time. Um, so you were studying full-time and doing three days a week. Yeah, yeah. That's more than a full-time yeah. role. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was hectic and particularly in the later kind of years when I was I was working sort of four days a week um, wow. towards the end. Mm-hmm. And um, But yeah, it was, it was good because it gave me that dose of reality that I needed and allowed me to come back and go, yeah, this is actually what I want to do. I want to spend my time investing in this. Um, and it also gave me that appreciation for actually, you no, know, even though uni sometimes doesn't have those boundaries it is good it's teaching me to think differently and especially for someone like me that is very linear numbers orientated you know math science background that sort of thing i think it was good so yeah yeah. awesome so that's a bit about me (laughs) there you go now how did you choose what majors and essentially once you had chosen architectural how did you choose the complementing majors to go with it during your studies um that's an interesting one i feel like i so i did um urban design mm-hmm. um so i suppose more the the council and the planning side of things yeah and i've always kind of enjoyed that big picture sort of stuff yeah um so master planning was something in particular that i was always very interested in how architecture fit into the bigger scheme of you know its environment and cities and that sort of thing so um i did that i'm pretty sure that's all i did I don't think I did. So it was a second major? Yeah, it was a second major. That's right. I didn't do um, another one to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it was similar to my, I think most students try to think of themselves as what's the element that allows them to differentiate themselves from their, everyone else. Exactly. That second major to add, the, add to that and complement. Exactly. And that was that course actually was, even though I didn't do it full time or anything, it actually still taught me a lot about how the industry works um, beyond the realms of architecture. So mm-hmm. actually how it functions and how buildings come into play from a, um, from a, I suppose, more a legal point of view. Yeah. Um, and all the planning that actually goes in behind it and actually taught me to realize that architecture does not operate in isolation as much as sometimes we love to think it does. Yeah. Um, it really is part of a bigger context. And um, sometimes your ideas do need to not necessarily be con- conformed to that, but respect what else is happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're here to talk about how architecture has helped you in leadership roles and BD roles. Yes. 
how did that first manifest itself? Just so that the listeners can understand how you got to where you are. Yep. How did the how did you get into BD in the first place? Well, I suppose I might start with um, what BD was for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose in my role there was a couple of there was two main different sides of it. So there's BD in your typical sense that you're developing the business and you're progressing it and you're wanting it to move forward. And I suppose in my role there was also the management side of things. So there was certainly a level of um, keeping the business where it was and making sure that it was functioning at a certain level and a certain capacity to allow us to continue to move forward. Yep. So it kind of combined those two things. Mm -hmm. um, I, as I said, I started working in second year um, and I, I suppose that allowed me to kind of get a really good grasp on projects um, and how they were run and that sort of thing pretty early on the piece, which was great. And I was very, very fortunate um, in the sense I had an employer that was very willing to just throw me in the deep end and see how I go. Yeah. And, you know, she was obviously there to back me up, which yeah. was great. But at the end of the day, it, it fell on me and yeah. how far I wanted to go and how far I wanted to take that was was in my control. Yeah. So I got to a point where pretty much by sort of third, fourth year, I was running my own projects. Um, and I that particular firm in, in in um, essence it wasn't I suppose what you'd call a design firm so it was it was more about um, it, they still delivered good quality products but it was definitely more about the volume and making architecture essentially more accessible to the everyday person yeah so it wasn't a firm where we had three projects a year it was definitely a firm where we you know for a small team we had about 40 wow. 40 houses on yep. the go at once um, and so there was a lot of quantity and there was a lot of balancing and juggling and time management and everything yep. involved in that um, so yeah so leading on from that I got to the point where I was kind of able to run my my own projects even though I wasn't necessarily there full-time mm -hmm. um, and then the BD role really started once I left Yep. Um, uni because then I was, I was working full time and I was able to take on more and with that extra time I was obviously already managing my own projects and I got the opportunity to fill that in with um, and I suppose supplement that with um, being more involved in the business mm -hmm. and I think um, where it kind of all started was I was always very interested in what the director in particular was doing um, so it was a small company so we were all kind of you know you knew what was going on in the business and you knew um, when we were busy and what was going on and when we needed to scale back and you know when we needed to go find new clients <laughs> you know so um, so because of that I I suppose I saw opportunities and I'm naturally the type of person to ask questions mm -hmm. um, so I I started and I, I just started by saying, I want to come along to a prospective meeting. Yep. And that's kind of where it all grew from. And so she said, yep, that's fine. Love to have you come along. So I went along to a couple of prospective meetings and, um, you know, saw how that sort of relationship building really started from and then kind of took it from there. So um, she let me start doing my own meetings, start basically being responsible for bringing in work into the company. Um, and it eventually got to a point where she said, if you're going to do this, you need to prove that it's going to be worthwhile for me to have you doing this. Yep. So then it led that led into, okay, well, I need to start a way to track this essentially. So mm. I need to start looking at my conversion rates and how this is all, you know, going to pan out and how much time am I spending on this compared to my actual jobs and making sure that my, my actual projects not distracted. are not distracted. Yeah, exactly. So... 
Um, it kind of just started like that. And then we got to a point where um, she said, yeah, your conversion rate's great. Um, you know, it's, it was funny. It was better than hers. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she wasn't sad about that. She was like, this is great. This is works for the business and you've got the skills here. So just go for it. So yeah, so then I took on and I was like, well, I'm gonna make the most of this. So joined a couple of networking groups and started building relationships with people outside the industry. So I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, well, in the bigger scheme of things, where are people finding us? You hmm. know, um, if they're coming from real estate agents, they're coming from builders, they're coming from town planners, if they're developers, yeah. um, you know, where are these leads actually coming from? And then that led into um, actually looking at, okay, well, we're getting these leads in, how can we make it not such a time-consuming process so in terms of our marketing strategy what are we doing and you know can we sort of make it automated in some ways and um yeah everything kind of just i suppose continued to grow yeah um to the point that you know i was uh, all these things are naturally interlinked and then it was looking at how profitable things are and the profit margins in the business and making sure that you know the fees we had set on projects were um, still aligned and, and you know working mm -hmm. um, so yeah that kind of leads into where I was saying about how it, it ended up being this sort of management side where we're sustaining what we've got yep. but also making sure that we're progressing and looking at the marketing and looking at the strategy and looking at what works coming in and what works going out and making sure we've got enough um, there for the future and yep. sort of forecasting yeah, wow. So obviously that was within a few years after going out of uni. Yeah, correct. Yeah. How did that feel? <laughs> it was stressful. I'm <laughs> <Yep. laughs> um, not going to lie. So it was a very um, high pressure job. Um, it was it was funny because I loved it. Mm. I loved, I suppose, there was a little bit of adrenaline associated with it. Mm. And I was never bored yep. um, because it was constantly go, go, go. And yep. it meant that I probably on most days only spent maybe three hours at a desk, if that. Yep. Um, and it meant I had built, you know, people within the company to support me running those projects so that all the projects that we already had, mm -hmm. so that I could essentially just be the face to the client and be the contact point and, you know, come in and review the work. So mm -hmm. it kind of built the business to a point where, you know, there was the director and then there was myself and then we had, you know, teams of people and to support us. So in some ways they were all little businesses within. Yeah. The, the main business and there's pros and cons to that structure um, you know and there's pros and cons I think it's it's definitely a matter of who you've got in your business and if that works for the people um, that you've got but um, yeah it, it did work for that business and um, yeah it was it was great but it was stressful and it was yep. very time consuming and yep. you'd get phone calls from clients at nine o'clock at night oh, wow. and you'd be checking your emails all the time because you don't have enough time at your desk and, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. that's just kind of the nature of it. And yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. Well, that's honestly impressive given the shorter timeline that this has happened. Usually yeah. people are doing those kinds of roles in their forties yeah. or late thirties. And I think <laughs> it's a combination of, of definitely being um, interested in it and driven in it because I, I know, you know, I see some of my friends and they're not interested in it. Yeah. You know, I talk about what <laughs> I did and they're just like, that's horrible. Why would you even do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I also know that there's probably a handful of people out there that would really love that. And it's a combination of being interested in it, but also 
who you're working for and who gives you that opportunity and yeah. if it is something that you're interested in making sure you're creating that opportunity for yourself it sounds like you had an incredible mentor as a start to allow that to even you know take place i definitely did some directors wouldn't be open to that no not at all yeah. and she had a great deal of trust in me which of course is is built over time as well um but I think she could see that I could handle it, but she mm. was also there to support me when I was going, okay, this is a lot. I need some assistance. I need some backup. This yep. is too much. Um, especially in a company like that, where there was such a high volume of projects, yep. um, it might be different in a company that is more design focused and you know, you're not having necessarily that, that high turnover. Yep. But, um, yeah. No, that's excellent. Now I want to take some time to actually drill down into what the common factors are about these transferable skills. Now, I know that it's a similar mindset that I've approached the thinking in architecture having gone through that design-focused creative problem-solving method and then applying that to business, whether it's BD, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's HR, whatever. And it's the same thing that I actually do in, in Inspired Education. And I wanted to ask you, how did the learnings of did you know it was the actual creative problem solving that was the underlying foundation of your success in all of these different attributes or was that kind of subconscious? How did that manifest itself? I think I probably didn't know at the beginning, but I think over time I became more aware of it. Mm -hmm. So for me it was when I, when I reflect on that now and how that all kind of manifested. Um, I think of sort of creative thinking and design thinking in particular as it's cyclical and mm -hmm. it's not linear and there's a couple of different facets to it you know there's particularly the sort of empathy and um, putting yourself in someone else's shoes mm -hmm. and being able to relate to that and then transferring that to what you're creating um, and then for me there's also a testing element to it yeah so that's why I say it's cyclical because I think you know once you get to the testing you've kind of got to go back to that absolutely and, and yep. start again yeah so if I use an example of, okay, let's say I've got to go and I've got to go win some work and I've got to put, put food on the table for everyone in the business. Yep. Um, I, at the end of the day, I'm trying to sell a service to a client. So in that moment, when I go to someone's house, it was a residential firm um, and I would be asking them about what they're wanting. One of the things that I would constantly test and change was the way I spoke to them mm -hmm. because it was, okay, well, let me understand your issues. Let me try and come up with solutions that it's only the first meeting. I'm not going to scare you, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time, prove or show you rather that we, we've got the skills to do it. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes that would work. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it works with certain personalities. Other times it doesn't. So it's then taking that seeing the reaction I get from people, testing and trying again. And um, yeah, so I think... So empathy, collaboration, experimentation. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And then there was also, okay, that's the, I suppose, meeting people, um, having that face-to-face -face interaction. Mm -hmm. There's also what their experience is like before and after that. Yeah. So before, there's marketing. So what are we going to do? Um, you know, what works so let's try and let's take facebook advertising or instagram advertising or something to begin with what are we putting out there what's the response what's the feedback are we tracking that is it working um and then testing and trying again 
what do the people that we want to capture actually want to see from us? Mm -hmm. Do they want to see our work? Do they want to be educated by us? We very much took a strategy that was about education Mm -hmm. um, and that was twofold. That was to obviously support the clients through the process, but it also worked for us in the fact that clients were more educated about what they were getting into and therefore made the process once they signed up with us easier and smoother. Mm. So for from that point of view, there's the before and then there's also the after, which is what their experience is throughout, you know, working with us and being in, in, in design or um, construction drawings or in construction, what that meant for them. Yeah. So there was definitely a couple of models and changes that we did within the business that was, okay, we're taking the clients through sketch design. You know, is it, um, we present them hand drawings or do we present them 3D images? Is it a combination of both? How do we, do we present this in a meeting? Do we do videos and send that to them and then get them engaged? Um, what does that experience look like? What gets them the best result, but also what helps us from an efficiency point of view and, and that side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it definitely applies throughout the whole process and yep. yeah like I said I didn't I wasn't aware of that at the beginning yep. um, but it became more and more clear as we went on and that's the beautiful part and I think what gave me the confidence and what brought me to attention to this it was very similar to yourself where it's not something that you're aware of because you're studying architecture so you think you're going to be an architectural expert yeah. and get registered one day and um, I actually read this piece where companies like Google, Apple, Amazon, Dropbox, all these Fortune 500 tech companies, they physically spend time to seek architectural graduates, which have that little bit of an X factor for their BD. How interesting. It's, it's, it's something that gave me confidence in going into business thinking, well, all right, well, if that's what they're looking for, what was the actual underlying common factor yeah. there? which was actually the creative thinking. It's the ability to look at something that doesn't exist right now, PO imagination, and how do you implement that? Definitely. Right? So there's a lot of entrepreneurial skills there. There's a lot of 21st century skills there. So this is what got the ball rolling in terms of understanding, all right, there's something there. What was that? Yep. Right? So that's very similar to myself where you slowly come into that awareness as you as you go on it. So, and, um, so in your opinion, do you think this applies to any industry? Oh, absolutely. And as you've just alluded to, the mm. fact that these Fortune 500 companies are you know, excited about that sort of thought process, I definitely think it's transferable. Yep. I think that, you know, um, one of my good friends, actually, she's just recently started an automation business. And one of the challenges she's actually having is she's working with pet store owners and um, garden garden shops and you know a huge variety of, of companies and they're really the they're stale you know mm. for lack of a better term they're mm. used to their very um, linear approach they're used to their processes and their routines and the staff are used to that as well yeah and I think that one of her biggest challenges which I, I do associate is she's got this kind of creative thinking um, process happening with her automation business and she's trying to put it into a business that's not operating like that mm-hmm. it's she's coming up a lot of, against a lot of brick walls of course but she just like I could can see so much potential in those businesses and how, what they could become if they were to adopt that yeah and so I think creative thinking in this um, sort of design thinking approach is important not only 
across industries, but across the people within the different industries. Yep. Because unless you have buy-in from people um, across all levels of the company, you're, you're still going to be, be faced with challenges. Of course, of so, course. And I think that's where a lot of the gaps are in certain companies where it's not a top-down approach. Yeah. There's leaders may be aware of it, but the staff are not yep. or vice versa. And there's no support from the, maybe sometimes no support from the top down. Definitely. So there's, there's a lot of, I think, missing links. And until, like you said, it's a even playing field and everyone's got that buy-in, yeah. it doesn't have its potential utilized. And once it does, the capacity is endless. Yeah. And this is what I see. One of the biggest advocates of um, that, are, that I am a fan of is Adobe. And Adobe's directors are doing the same thing that admin people are doing, the HR doing, and it's the same message carried across everything. It's beautiful to watch, actually. It's like a big engine that just works <laughs> all the cogs. Yeah, exa exactly. I was in awe. And I think that's probably why I was, um, you know, going back to how I kind of ended up in a position where I was able to do that is I was working with someone who was naturally, you know, obviously she was an architect as well, and so she. Um, she naturally had this sort of design thinking, creative thinking approach operating behind her head. And she had crazy ideas sometimes, yep. you know. Um, <laughs> sometimes that's a good which thing. Which is sometimes a great thing. Um, and she used to call me negative Nelly because sometimes <laughs> I'd bring her back into reality. And You're go, the execution oh. person. <laughs> I'm yeah. the execution person, so I've got to make this work. Yep. Um, but it was good. She challenged me and I challenged her. But I, what I was going to say with that was um, because she was so open with her creative thinking and her design thinking approach to business, mm. she was transparent with that. Yep. And then that also kind of, you know, engaged me, not only me, but the other people within the company. And we were all on the same page. Yep. And if we were going to do something, we were all committed to it. And we were all going to make it happen and we we're all going to make it work. Yep. Um, whereas I think it would have been very different if, you know, half you're, you're battling half the team to actually get on board with it. Oh, absolutely. There's a couple of companies that I've been approached to train their staff and that was coming from their leadership but until there was buy-in there was actually yeah. no execution so we went through the leadership training but that was it yeah there was, it ends there it ends there there was no other further development in that company and this is actually one of the biggest manufacturers in australia but there was no further buy-in from the rest of the company so it was just a one-off workshop and that's it that's we walk it. away <laughs> So it's a bit of a shame when you think about it. It is, it is. It's wasted time and I think wasted resources, yeah. but I think it's good that there's a lot of push and this is actually one of the reasons that design thinking needs to be at a high school level and a university level across the board. What do you think, do you, do you think there's value in schools and educational institutes spending that time to embed design thinking in English and maths or science or anything, it doesn't really matter. Do you think that's a worthwhile effort looking at how your life went through? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that whether or not it's for just creative people or not, mm. I think that exposing especially students who are you know, in the prime of their absorbing information <laughs> stage of life, yep. um, I think even giving them, them that exposure and that opportunity to say, hey, is this something I like, you yep. know? If it's not taught in schools, how how often is this opportunity missed? And how often are people saying, I'll just continue on the path that I'm being told to do because yep. that's 
what what's shoved down my throat or you know not necessarily shoved down your throat but yeah. you know <laughs> it's a bit strong <laughs> um but what's being exposed to me yeah so unless you're given the opportunity to think outside the box and think creatively and put yourself in someone else's shoes mm. and to test ideas then you, you're never going to um challenge yourself either um so yeah i think it's super important um and i think it's not only important at a high school or a student level i think mm. it's also important that it's continued and reiterated and supported you know whether or not you're through university or other sort of tertiary education and even into the workplaces you know i yeah. think a lot of um workplaces do want to create a good culture for their um employees and i think that you know reinforcing or, or even teaching some of this problem solving or this thinking approach um would be hugely beneficial and yeah for people absolutely of all ages. absolutely and i think that's what gives career flexibility to students or people such as ourselves where now the average career changes i think 16 to 18 yeah. career changes that's insane yeah and me and my brother actually sat a few weeks ago and we counted he's much more methodical than i am <laughs> and i have 19 and it, it just it actually surprised <laughs> myself that there was 19 career changes in this short amount of time and my brother had I think four or five yeah and obviously he's been in the industry way longer than I am it's just it's just different lifestyle it's yeah. am, it's amazing to think that and I think having that design thinking embedded in your approach gives you flexibility to go into everything yeah. whether that's like anything from serving customer service at a fast food yep, restaurant absolutely to to let's say leading a team <laughs> yeah. and a bd role so yeah. it's um it's, it's incredible so transferable and yep. um you know even for jobs that or positions or businesses or services that aren't created yet you know unless you've got people challenging the norms yep. and using that thinking how are we ever going to progress as a society and this is actually funny where we every time we do any training at a master class we get teachers we always have one group of teachers usually the younger ones that go and refuse to present their idea <laughs> to the rest of the class. And when I asked them why, we've had two groups going, this is a million dollar startup idea. <laughs> and I said, well, that's sure. You feel free to do yeah. that if you, if you want to quit your teaching career and, and you know pursue this startup, then by all means, but you still have to present. <laughs> so, and it's incredible when you ask them going, would you have come up with that solution if you didn't go through this approach? And they go, no, there's absolutely no way they could have. And they can't do it alone. They have to do it with their in collaborative uh, environments, in experimenting, like you said, and right at the start of everything is empathy. Yep. Whether that's the customer, whether that's your team member. And I'm so glad that at such a young age, you've actually experienced that and found that out for yourself almost by accident but not really yeah, it's yeah. it's intentional actions that's got you to this point yeah. so it's it's amazing and and i'm so happy to see that oh, thank you <laughs> now i think one of the things that i want to ask is your advice i ask this with all my all my guests on if they have any advice for speaker or, or the listeners and the listeners are sometimes teachers university professors designers i get a lot of students listening so it's a mixed bag of of um, professionals but obviously design thinking is i think one of the cornerstones do you have any advice for people following or thinking about following on the same path you know applying this thinking into other areas definitely i think that um you have to similar to what i said before i think you have to find the opportunities and i think you have to know when you've got um, a situation that you feel you could improve or you feel you could um, insert yourself into and make the most of it and sort of 
um, identify those situations and go, yeah, I want to do something with this. Um, nothing, I'm a firm believer that, you know, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that the actions, like what you said before, that you take create these um situations so um if you're looking at getting into whether or not it's a business development role find someone that's willing to support you find someone that's willing to encourage you and give you these opportunities and throw you in the deep end and also challenge yourself because um i know that i I couldn't have got to where where i am without the support of other people you know nothing's done independently um so yeah i would i would definitely just encourage, encourage people to um, to make the most of any situation and even if it's a glimmer of oh maybe we could do something here just step in take the risk yep. go for it yep. you never know what's going to come over it I'm a big fan of saying yes to everything which sometimes is a problem yep. but, <laughs> but as long as you can balance that with the occasional no then yep. <laughs> then um, you're probably more likely to gain good out of it rather than the opposite that's brilliant. Thanks so much. I think that's valuable advice. And I think there are a lot of underlying messages from what you mentioned is essentially finding mentors, finding yeah. that person that would support you, your support network. Yep. And the other thing was actually failing forward. Yeah. So saying yes to everything, I think yep. that's a great thing. I'm very similar. <laughs> and it sometimes is a curse. Yep. <laughs> but it always somehow leads to something incredible. Yep. And whether it is a failure is I think a perception yep. and if you're moving forward taking the learnings yeah you I have, you s- have nothing still to go on to this with. day don't regret anything and I've said no to very few things yep. in my life so it's a happy life to live happy life to live <laughs> perfect thank you so much Caitlin for That's your time right. thanks for having me that's it for today, folks. But before we leave, I want to give a personal shout out to C Top nineteen ninety five for your five star review. C Top says life changing. Through the past three years of my design course, Rashan has been a fantastic mentor. It's great that through this podcast, others can learn about the power of design thinking and how it can be applied to all facets of life. Mate, I really appreciate your kind words and thank you for sharing the love. Hope you're kicking some fantastic goals as well. Keep up the good work. Everyone else, if you'd like to have your review read out across to listeners from over 14 countries, jump online to Apple Podcasts and share your love. I will make sure to read every review personally at the end of each episode. Last but not least, jump on to rashansenanaika.com forward slash podcast for the show notes from today's episode and give a shout out to Caitlin Sells. Till next time.